0: Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. Good, good. I know you guys are excited to be here today. I'm excited to be here too. Wasn't that an awesome time of worship at both of our campuses today? That is awesome. I want to give both of our worship teams... It's just a great shout. I love the creativity that comes on our stages every week. And I love how it always has a purpose. It always ties us back to something. Hey, if you're worshiping with us today in the city of LaGrange, I want to welcome you. If you're worshiping here at noon, and I want to welcome you too, we are in this thing together. And so I want both of us to shout at the same time. Go for it. (laughs) That's good. I think you ought to be able to shout in church, right? I mean, you can shout at a football game, right? You can shout at a basketball game. I know you can shout at a concert. I think you ought to be able to shout the loudest when you're at church. And so I'm excited that you're here today. We're in week two of our series Repurposed. And we made this statement last week. It was kind of the core statement. Jesus bought us back. He redeemed us because he wants to repurpose our life. He wants to repurpose our life. So here's the truth about me. I love projects. Anyone here at either of our campuses love projects? You love to take on a new project in your life? Some of you say, that's why I got married, right? She was my project. He was my project, right? Some of you are dating projects right now. Like you're dating somebody. And you're like, my goal is to wear them out until they become the person I want them to become. Right? So I love projects. Like I love starting something and I love taking it from the inception and working the process and seeing it become something that I didn't even think it could become. And what's crazy about that is, when I start a project, there's something awesome about when you look and you say, okay, I'm going to start it this way, and it becomes something maybe a little different than what you intended, but it actually becomes better. And then there's that workmanship idea, right? The fact that when I started this, I didn't know what it was going to become, but because I, I stayed with it, and I stayed in the vein of it, and I kept working on it, it's even better than what I thought, I think God sometimes looks at us that way and he says, I want to repurpose you for a purpose greater than you. And the truth is when I'm done, it's going to be amazing. But sometimes in our lives, we've all been guilty of this. We've started a project, but we haven't finished it. Have you ever done that before in your life? Right? Like some of you go, Sean, my whole life is an unfinished project. Like, God gave me life, he gave me lungs to breathe, but, but my life just kind of feels like it's undone. It's kind of like climbing through an old attic in an old house, right? And as you go into that attic, you see things that are covered with, like, blankets and sheets and things like that, and, and you pull those sheets off, and it's like this beautiful piece of furniture that was never fully refinished. And you, you almost have this feeling of, like, what a shame, that that piece of furniture or that thing never fulfilled its greatest purpose. Because why? Because someone stopped short. Maybe they took it and they sanded it. They stripped away the past, right? They got rid of all the old polish. Or or maybe they began to put a new back on it. Or maybe they put a new side on it, but they stopped short. You see, here's what I believe about our lives. Jesus wants to repurpose us for a purpose greater than our own self. But many times we get stopped short in the process and we feel unfinished. I mean, let's just face it. We feel undone. We kind of feel half done, right? Like, I know I'm I'm supposed to be this, but I'm just kind of stuck right here. And I've often asked the question, why do people feel stuck in their life? What is it? Is it that their circumstances are too great? I mean, why is it that some people tend to live above their circumstances and then other people, they seem to be in captivity because of their circumstances? And so I started thinking about this. What is the deciding difference? You know what it really goes back to? It goes back to our heart. They always say all the time, you know, a a great athlete is not measured by how tall they are, by how fast they run. They're measured by their heart. And that's why many times we see athletes and, and they just, they don't have all the physical side to them to do what they do in the athletic field or the, the, the play of game, but you can't measure their heart. And so there's this idea that if God's going to repurpose our lives, we maybe have to look inside and say, maybe I've got to recapture my heart. Like maybe I've got to think about my heart. Like some of you, as you sit here today at either of our campuses, your heart's just beating away. Right? And it's just pumping blood. And yet, your heart is so much deeper than that. In fact, I want to show you a passage of scripture. Look what it says here as we start today. This is Proverbs 423. He says, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's the wellspring of life. It's like the center. It is the epicenter of your life. And Proverbs, Solomon here, he gives us some wisdom. He says, hey. You need to guard your heart. It is the wellspring of your life. And some of you go, that's why I don't date, because I'm guarding my heart. Some of you go, that is why I do date, because I'm guarding my heart. The truth is this. God tells us this about guarding our heart. He says this. He says, I don't want you to just guard your heart. I want to actually show you how to let me recapture it. We've got to guard our heart. We've got to let Jesus recapture our heart. You know, God gives us another promise. It's in the book of Philippians. Look what it says here. In, in the idea of guarding our heart, He says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. In other words, when you pray, pray thanking God, right? He said, present your request to God. And then look at this incredible promise about our heart. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus. So he says, Hey, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And then he throws out this promise. He says, I want you to pray to me. And when you pray, I want you to praise as you pray. And when you do so, he says, My peace will guard your heart and mine. And I started thinking, wow, that's a promise. That's that's literally a promise. So then I started thinking, Oh, wow, that's crazy. Think about it. There are 3,574 promises in God's word. 3,574, and that's just one of them. He says, guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. And then he tells us, I don't want it, you to just guard it. I want to teach you how to recapture your heart. And then he gives us one promise. And here's the thought I had this week as I was thinking about this. Many of us will start 2016, and we will focus on making a big promise to ourselves or to others, right? We call that resolutions. I'm going to stop eating ice cream after nine o'clock. I'm only gonna drink four cups of coffee a day. <laughs> some of you go, I've been drinking a whole pot. Okay, some of you go, I'm gonna stop kicking my neighbor's cat. No, go ahead and kick it, man, in Jesus' name. Just, I'm just, just teasing, okay? <laughs> All you to people. I love you. People eating tasty animals. I'm just going to throw it, leave it right there, okay? (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Sean's fired. He was a great guy while he was here. But the truth is this. We have all these promises that we want to make to each other. And God says, I have 3,574 promises in my word. What if In 2016, instead of trying to make more of my own promises, I tried to live in full possession of as many of those 3,574 promises that God says are mine. You think that wouldn't repurpose our lives? I mean, it's crazy. Because then I read on in scripture, listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20, regarding promises. He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are what in Jesus? Yes. yes. Everyone say yes. yes. All right. They're yes in Jesus. So what he said is, listen, I've got all these promises. I've got all these things I want to do in your life to repurpose you. And they are yes in Jesus. You know what I love about that phrase? They're not yes in me. Many of us think that they're yes in us. Like if we live well enough, you know, that God's going to give us his promises or that we cross the T and dot the I and jump high enough and live religious enough. No, he says, whatever promise God has made, they are yes in Jesus. So I have a question for you. Why don't we see more yes of God's promises in our life? Either this statement's true or it's a lie, right? Why do we not see more yes of God's promises in life? Does God not keep his word? Isn't God the promise keeper? So why don't we see more yes of God's promises in our lives? I think if we really are honest, we have to go back to ask the question, could it be something about letting Jesus recapture our hearts? Because if Jesus isn't at the center of our heart, The Bible says, guard your heart for it is what of your life? The wellspring of your life. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. As you turn it over there, let me give you the history behind this passage. David had just been named king. Now think about it. If you got elected president of the free world, what would you do in your first 24 hours? Okay, David became king. Saul had been gone, David became king, and his first act as king, as recorded in the Bible, recorded in the scriptures, is what we're going to talk about today. The very first thing that he did, you know what he did? The Bible says he went and attacked a city named Jebus. Why did he attack it? He wanted to set up his rule and his reign and his kingdom there. But there's a bigger reason why he wanted to attack it. See, Jebus was a city that had been promised to Israel years and years and years ago. Saul knew this, and Saul never wanted to take it. In fact, he was probably afraid to take it. But David, his first act as king, he actually stood on the very thought of what God told Joshua when they crossed into the promised land. He looked at Joshua and he said, hey, Joshua, I will give you every place that you're willing to place your foot. David walks in, and he actually takes it literally. The Bible says his first act as king, he attacks the city of Jebus. There's only one problem. Somebody else is living there. They had squatters. You know what squatters are, right? People who take up residence in places that are not their own. I mean, I, I think personally in our own life spiritually, we got a lot of spiritual squatters in our life. We got a lot of things, a lot of circumstances, a lot of people that have taken up residence in our life and we've allowed it and we've allowed them to stay there. We need to rethink that because if Jesus is going to repurpose our life, he's want to recapture our heart. So David walks in and there's all these people living there, the Jebusites. They lived in Jebus and they're spiritually squatting on the promises of God. I want to ask you a question. Is there a promise in your life that you know God wants you to possess, but you never quite ever do it? Is there? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your finances? Is it in your kids' lives? Is it in your own spiritual life? Is there a place that you know God has promised to you and you've tried to go get it, but you never quite fully possess it? You kind of get halfway there, kind of like that un-piece, that unfinished piece of furniture, right? You sand it off, you get it ready, you prime it, and then you just stop. And you never let it become repurposed. That's where David was. So he's standing here, and he's literally attacking the very promise that God gave them. And I want you to look what it says in 2 Samuel 5, 6. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there, right? They're squatting on the promise. The Jebusites said to David, listen, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. You know what the spirit of Jebus says in our life? It says, you cannot. I cannot. I will not let you. David He's walking up to take the city, and they're calling to him from the top of the wall. Hey, you're like the lame and the blind, David. You will never get in this place. You know what they're doing? They're standing on the wall, and they're mocking him. But here's the thing. Jebus it was not an ordinary city. In fact, if you know anything about history and archaeology, it was prime real estate in the promised land. It was a city that literally sat on a hill. It had very high and thick walls, and it was very hard to get into, and it was even harder once you would get into it to actually capture it. And there was a reason why. You know why? It had its own water source. There was the wall, and there was the city, and there was the well, the water source. And it had its own water source. And here's what that meant. If you were to attack Jebus on this high hill that you would have to climb to get to, that you would have to listen to all the the Jebusites. If you even got near it, they basically said, listen, you can attack us all day long and we will never have to leave because we are self-sufficient to sit inside these walls and you can attack all you want. We have cattle here. We have vegetation here. We will live. We do not care. Sounds prideful, doesn't it? Oh, they were prideful. They were arrogant. Here's what's crazy. God had promised them this promised land 200 years ago, and nobody was willing to go and take it. They had tried. They had attacked the wall many times. But the Jebusites are living in the place that God had promised to his people. And here's the crazy thing. They knew it. And Saul, he allowed it. David, he said, No, no. This is the first place I'm going as king. I'm going to go take full possession of what God says is mine. So they stand on the wall and they mock David in the very promise that God gave to Israel. He said, you can't get in here, you can try. You know the only problem with that little tactic? This wasn't David's first rodeo. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, like there was this time that that they were coming out and there's this giant of the Philistines and and they said that Saul went and hid in his tent (laughs) and David comes out and here's here's what he sees. He sees all these people living in fear. He sees all these people worried. And then he heard something that he said, oh, no, you didn't. He heard the Philistines mocking God. Mocking the armies of God. He said, I I just kind of overheard them and they're calling out saying, you guys will never take us. David went and slayed the giant. This wasn't his first rodeo, people. He had been in this place before. But I want you to look at what he does. Look at verse seven. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. And on that day, David had said, anyone who what? Conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. And that is why they say, the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. So here's what's crazy about what he did. He sends Joab, one of his leading officials, he said, Joab, I want you to go get some men and I want you to go attack the wall. Because that's exactly what the enemy, that's exactly what the Jebusites think we're gonna do. We're gonna come attack the wall. We're gonna be like every other person. We're just gonna attack the wall. But you know what David did? He goes up through the hill and he starts climbing through a dark water tunnel through the rough and the very difficult passage and he goes right into the city and he attacks Jebus at the place of their greatest pride, the water source. You know, it made me think in my life, How many times have I had a situation that God has told me, Sean, you can attack this a thousand different ways, but you gotta get to the source. You gotta get to the source. I mean, why is it that others tried and failed? Why is it that Saul didn't try at all? Why is it that David chose this first? I mean, wasn't that the hardest place to take? It surely was. But I got a bigger question for you. Why spiritually in your life and my life do we attack the walls of our circumstances the same way over and over again? And why do we fail after fail after fail after fail after fail? Here's the reason. If God God is going to repurpose our lives, we must let him recapture our hearts. David went for the source. See, what is the wall? Here's what the wall is. The wall is our circumstances. It's what we know. And guess what? There may be some truth to our circumstances. Some of us financially, we're struggling financially. Some of us relationally, we're struggling in our relationships. And those are true statements, but there are circumstances. It's what we know. But what is the well? What is the well? The well's something different it's the source, it's our hearts, it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the Bible says that David could have done just like everyone else did, but here's what he realized. If God is going to repurpose my life, I've got to recapture the source. I've got to recapture the source. So I want to ask you this question Where are the places in your life that the enemy stands on the wall and mocks you? You fail. Because you go to the wall of your circumstances over and over again and you enact the same strategy of attacking the wall, attacking the wall and you've attempted to attack the wall but you've never taken the source, your heart. We need to stop attacking walls and start taking wells. David said, God has promised me this land. I will no longer attack your walls. You stupid, prideful, arrogant, mocking Jebusites. I won't give into it, but here's what I will do. I will talk through and I will walk through and I will go through the water source. Because he knew if I could take the source. I thought about this in our own life. We need to stop attacking walls and start taking wells. You know what we do most of our lives? We attack symptoms. Right? That's why we struggle sometimes with addiction. Because we just want to attack the symptom. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop using. I need to stop looking. And God says, no, there's something bigger than that. You can attack the, the walls all you want. You need to start taking the wells and you need to understand what the wells are because the symptoms aren't going to get you to where God wants to get you. You got to take the well and you basically got to say, I need to quit looking at all these symptoms and trying to attack the symptoms. I need to start taking the sources in my life. What are the sources that the enemy continues to have possession of that God says, no, no, no. I want you to guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. I want to recapture your heart. You were never meant to live in captivity. You were lived, you were meant to live captivated by me. Yeah, come on, let's clap. You believe that? I believe that. Hey, I'm not up here talking today. I'm up here living today. This is my life I'm telling you about. This ain't my cute speech. This is what God's doing in me. And I wanna tell you the truth today. Some of us, we need to stop looking at the symptoms of our life and we need to start taking the sources back. Jesus wants to recapture your heart. You know what's crazy about this? (laughs) The Bible talks in Proverbs about the same spirit that was in the Jebusites. Listen to what it says. Look at what it says in Proverbs. It says, the proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name. He behaves with insolent fury. Now, I don't always understand the word insolent, so I looked it up, and it means overweening pride. Like, I don't know about you in your life, but in my life, part of of this idea of, of recapturing goes back to this thought that to recapture my heart, to recapture our hearts, we must drive out the mocker. We gotta drive out the mocker, we got to go back and we got to say, where am I being mocked? And then you got to go back to that verse because he says the proud and the arrogant person, just like the Jebusites, he's got a name. His name is Mocker. And he behaves with overweening pride, with insolent fury. You know what that means? He has his own supply. He thinks he doesn't need anyone else. He's so prideful and arrogant. He's got his own source. <laughs> but I just find this funny. David never stopped and prayed and asked God, God, should I go take this well? God, we're going to hold a prayer meeting for six months to ask you it, what we should do to fully live in the possession of what you told us was ours 200 years ago. He didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't even pray about it. You know what he did? He went out and fought for it. Why? Because he knew who God was and he knew what God had promised him. He said, God says this is ours. And it's funny because in my life, when I understand who the mocker is and that I see and know how he behaves in my life, I think that we ought to do exactly what the Bible says David did. Look at Proverbs 22.10. It says this. It says, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Quarrels and insults are ended. Here's what he knew. If I'm gonna take possession of all that God has promised me, I gotta drive out the mocker. I gotta get them out of there. They're living in God's promise. They gotta go. But you know what I've learned about the mocker in my own life? The mocker doesn't lie about what is true, he takes what is true and he uses it against us. Think about that. He takes the truth. And he taunts it with us. Everything about Jebus was true. They were a city on a hill. They had huge walls. All the facts were true, right? The only way you could truly take the city was through the source. And so what do they do? They stand on top of it and they just mock. And that's what the enemy does to us. He takes what's true about us and he taunts us with it. Sean, you're 5'9". You will never dunk a basketball. Yeah, That's true. Unless my name is Spud Webb, okay? I will never dunk a basketball. Chances are I could go to basketball dunking training. I could probably get inserts in my calves. I could get me some very fly shoes. I will never dunk a basketball. (laughs) But that's what the enemy does, he comes and taunts you with what's true. He looks at your circumstances and he comes and says, oh, you'll never do this. You will never take full possession of it. The facts were true, but here's what's different about David. Nobody else was willing to take the well. They only wanted to attack the wall. And David said, no, 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 (laughs) no. I'm gonna take the well. So here's what's crazy about that. Sometimes the mocker in our life can be Satan, but I also wanna say this. Sometimes the mocker in our life can be self. I have mocked myself way more than I think Satan has. And you need to be careful about self-mocking. And here's why. Because lies we believe will eventually become lies we behave. Some of you go, that's not even good grammar. That was great preaching, though. (laughs) Top notch right there, top three. Lies we believe will eventually be lies we behave and you need to look right at the mocker and you need to say, hey, I'm gonna let God recapture my heart, but if he's gonna recapture my heart, I've gotta remove the mocker. I say it this way in my life, sometimes you just gotta call it out to drive it out. So I wanna help you call it out today. I want you to see this equation here real quick. This is how you need to call it out in your life. I wanna start with a kind of a fill in the blank moment, okay, God has promised me blank, but I can't blank because blank. You, you just fill that out real quick. Put that in your notes real quick, okay? You're gonna want this in just a second. God has promised me blank, but I can't blank because blank. So I wanna fill in the blanks for you because this is what the mocker does to us. Here's what he says. God has promised me peace, but I can't trust God because my circumstances. And the enemy will mock you all day long. Oh, he loves this one. Let me give you another one. God has promised me financial blessing, but I can't tithe or give because my income. I just want to say publicly to you, since when does our income trump the promises of God? Really? You think God's not bigger than your income? I know God's promised me financial blessing, but I can't tie their give, because look at the next one. The next one's crazy, but I hear people say this all the time. God has promised me grace, but I can't have freedom because my past mistakes. And the enemy, he stands on the wall and he says that back to you. Have you got past mistakes? Yeah. Have, have you got things in your past that are horrible? Yeah, so do I. Guess what? We all do. But the truth is this. God has promised me grace. And so what we do is we let the enemy fill in those blanks for us and he stands on the wall and he mocks you. So I want to give you a set of questions and I want you to write them down real quick. Number one, where are the places of strife and struggle in your life? Where are they? Call them out. Some of you know exactly where they are. It's my relationship with my kids. It's my relationship with my spouse. It's, it's, it's the fact that I'm addicted to pornography. It's the fact that I'm drunk seven nights a week and I can't get my life together, right? Some of you, it's the fact that you've got secret things that you don't want anybody to know about. Where are the places of strife and struggle in your life? Number two, where do you fight with God or with others? Where is it? Where do you fight with God or with others? Listen, where do you feel the need to insult make excuses, or feel insulted, or feel excused. You say, he's all up in my business. Yeah, I am, because God's all up in my business. God started showing me, Sean, there's places that you feel insulted all the time. There's places that you always seem to strife in your life. There's places in you that you always feel excused by others instead of accept it. Wherever those places are in your life and my life, that is the place God wants to recapture. If He's going to repurpose our life, He's got to recapture our heart. To recapture our heart, we've got to drive out the mocker. David fought, he drove out the mocker. But you know what else happened? And what we've got to do to drive out the mocker? I must focus on what I can do instead of what I can't do. Remember what I said? The spirit of Jebus says I can't, I cannot. It's fear and intimidation. And we need to attack it in our life and let God recapture our heart. But here's what I've got to do. I've got to take what is true and I've got to fight for it and with it. I must say, believe, and act on what God says is mine and fight. Let me ask you a question how many times in your Christian life has someone said, well, you just need to sit back and and just let God make it all come together. Listen, sometimes in the Christian life, you just gotta stand up and fight for what's yours. This is mine. You will not have this. You will not take my children. You will not take my marriage. You will not take my mind. God has promised me over 3,574 times what is mine. I have to drive out the mocker by focus on what I can do instead of what I can't do. I've gotta let God recapture my heart daily. I just find it funny, when David walked in, he didn't ask politely, hey guys, could we have our city back? I'm gonna write you a letter. Would you please give us the city by 8 p.m. tonight? Love, David. <laughs> hey, Joab, you go take the wall? I'm going to go take the source. Can you imagine? I just love these moments in scripture where David's crawling through and he comes out the end of the source and he's standing on top of the well and he said, I'm here and this is mine. (laughs) He focused on what he could do. I love what Paul says. He says, the weapons we fight with, listen, are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? demolish strongholds (laughs) you know how strong a stronghold is it took a whole city David said this is ours God gave it to us years ago it's ours so here's the statement I want us to begin to say. Let's do another fill in the blank. God has promised me blank and I can blank because blank. Let's look at it this way. God has promised me peace and I can trust God because God guards my heart and mind according to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look at the next statement. God has promised me financial blessing and I can tithe and give because God can pour out his provision according to Malachi 3.10. Let me give you the third one. God has promised me grace, and I can have freedom because Jesus set me free according to John 8 36. Sometimes you just gotta call it out to drive it out. You just gotta call it out. You know, you know what was said about David's life when all this happened? You know what the end of the story is? The end of the story, it's like the best the end of the story the bible says that god established david as king in fact look what it says in verse 9 and 10 it says david then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of david he built up the area around it from the terraces inward and look he became more and more powerful because the lord god almighty i love how they say that was with him i think about this he became more and more powerful why Because he drove out the mocker. And the Bible says when you drive out the mocker, out goes strife, out goes all this conflict. Why? Because you are no longer listening to the taunts of the lie. You are believing what God says is yours and you're standing in it. God wants to repurpose your life. You know, I love this. David, it says he demolished the stronghold. He drove out the Jebusites, but the Bible says he left the city intact. And then he did something so audacious, he changed its name. This is no longer the city of Jebus. This is the city of David. You say, oh, that's arrogance. No, I call that ownership. That's not arrogance, that's confidence. I know who God is and I know what he's promised me and I'm no longer gonna let you stand on this wall and mock me and tell me what I cannot do because Jesus said I can do all things through him. And I'm gonna live in it. I'm gonna take up residence in it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let Jesus establish me and I'm going to live in full possession of the promise. Oh, did David stop fighting battles? No, he fought many battles after this. But you know what he did? He lived in full possession of the promise of God. God was repurposing his life. Listen to this statement. If God is going to repurpose your life, you must let him recapture your heart. Let's pray together today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Southcrest Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.